0: Welcome to the podcast, Global Mobility Unplugged, hosted by Equis Software. Join us as we speak with industry innovators to uncover new perspectives and unique approaches to the challenges facing global mobility teams today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Global Mobility Unplugged. For years, mobility practitioners have understood how volatility between foreign exchange rates and inflationary pressures can affect an employee's spending power in a new location. To dive into this in more detail, we're excited to welcome our guest today, Morgan Crosby, Chief Strategy Officer from Air Inc. Morgan, welcome. Thanks for having me. We're also joined by Equus' own Tom Richardson, Director of Solutions Consulting, who will be joining me today by leading the discussion.
1: Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Lottie. So as you mentioned at the outset, Lottie, cost of living allowance is an important topic and one that I know that Air Inc. have been speaking regularly about at industry panels and releasing some recent thought leadership. We also hear Equus clients asking how data and technology can work together in this area. So we're looking forward to discussing that more too. So I'll kick us off for a brief introduction, Morgan. What is cost of living allowance and why are we hearing people talk about it at the moment?
0: Sure. So simply put, the cost of living allowance is the difference in the cost of a market basket of goods and services and the assignment location compared to the home location. So it's a top up when costs are higher in your assignment location. And the reason we are hearing a lot about it is because there's a lot of inflation and there's a lot of exchange rate change. And when we have both of those things, We can get enormous swings in the COLA and things can happen to the COLA that people don't expect. You know, they can be assigned to a location with high inflation and have their COLA go down and they don't understand why. So when there's a lot of volatility, we get a lot of questions and there's a lot of emotion about why people's pay is changing.
1: Yeah, and I think that we talk about how COLA is often maintained and updated for things like, as you mentioned, the exchange rate and inflation, but also other changes as well, such as salary rises and family size changes, all things which are currently in a state of flux. Um, I think it's important to mention that the company's contribution is rebalanced for current economic and personal factors. So with that being said, what should companies look to do before making a unilateral change to COLA?
0: Well, the worst thing you could do is receive your COLA update from your provider and just implement it and not even look at what is going to change, right? Because nobody likes to see in their paycheck a big change in an allowance and not understand why, especially if the allowance is going down. That's always the worst part, right? We get a lot of questions when that happens. But these days, we can also have employees expecting that the COLA will go up a lot and maybe it does go up, but not as much as they were expecting. So before unilaterally passing through COLA changes, it's important to have a look first at what is happening with the COLAs before you implement them.
1: Yeah. And one way that we can look at a differential in COLA and how that changes over time is by looking at the COLA calculations. And I know that airing produces a particular COLA change report to support in this area.
0: That's absolutely right. So for every single COLA that we release, you can receive a COLA change report. And it's not just a static report. It's a dynamic report that allows you to look at how the COLA is changing specific to an individual. And as you mentioned, Tom, there are a lot of factors. There's exchange rate change, inflation, did the salary change, did the family size change, and these call to change reports let you get a report specific to an employee and explain how all of those factors are implementing the employee. And that can be accessed directly through the APRO system. It can also be accessed on Erin's website. And so these are really a good tool to help self-serve and understand and get something, you know, specific to your employee.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. So, and we commonly hear questions from our clients about, as I mentioned, how this data and technology can really work together. And I think we're not only benefiting in from a simplified transition service with both complementary consultative support on a technology and a data side, but also enhancing the employee experience as well. So, you mentioned being able to deliver specific tailored documents to employees but also being able to provide help resources such as FAQs, I think is really important to kind of manage that change process that we're seeing at the moment.
0: Oh, information is power, Tom, you know, with information at your fingertips, you can certainly do a more proactive consult with the employee or the business. And, you know, COLA change is kind of a complicated thing. I mean, I do it for a living so I can talk about it in my sleep, but, you know, not everybody necessarily knows how to explain why a COLA change is and if you have access to these types of resources, you can look like a rock star because it's already been, you know, previously determined and, and you can take a look at it and use the report to help with that consult and give that advice. So it's a great way to be a proactive advice giver. And I think too, that's, you know, something that Erin prides itself on and has been a great thing about the collaboration with Equus is we're not just about passing the COLA table, which instructs you on how to pay somebody into the ecosystem. We're also passing through insights that help you digest and understand what to do with that number, how to interpret that number, and how to talk about that number. And that's pretty unique in that we can pass both the information and the insights, allowing you to do that proactive consult. And I think that that's something that adds a lot of value to be able to have access to both.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it, it sounds like an area where talentability can provide clarity to the wider business in order for them to base their business decisions on quality data delivered directly into a technology solution. So given what we've discussed so far, are you seeing any changes in relocation policies to accommodate current volatility?
0: Well, certainly if you didn't have a robust policy for updating for inflation or exchange rate change you definitely have changed your policy now, right? Because I do think some people were caught unawares. You know, we haven't had a lot of inflation and exchange rate change. We have recently, but not in all markets. Now we're experiencing it sort of all over the place. And, you know, one of the biggest things that you can do is make sure that you have a frequent update cycle for cost of living allowances. And one of my favorite update cycles is quarterly because that means that you're bringing in inflation every quarter, you're bringing in exchange rate change every quarter. The employee doesn't have to ask when you're getting that update done. They just know that you're on a regular schedule and you have their back and that update's going to come through. I think some people, you know, will update once a year or twice a year, some people don't update at all. I wouldn't recommend that. I think that what we are seeing is that people are sharpening their pencil, making sure that exchange rate and inflation protection scheme is in good working order. And depending on the client, we pass that update through according to their schedule, but for standard users of APRO, we pass it through quarterly so that it's always there and available, the freshest data possible.
1: Yeah, I think as you mentioned, we've been used to a set it and forget it kind of policy where we've been living in lower inflation for so long that we really haven't had to consider these changes in the round you also need to understand what your policy is designed to cover as well and what you're really trying to actually afford the employee in that host location. So do you see a more of a push towards cash-based allowances? Is that becoming more common now, Morgan?
0: We've definitely seen a move towards cash-based allowances because they're easier to administer. And also, you know, employees like cash, you know, they can economize and sometimes save, but it, you know, it gives the employee flexible choice. And there's good cash and there's bad cash and in a global mobility program, definitely where you don't want to do things is to set it and forget it, right? So like a lump sum, you may have decided that you want $10,000 as your relocation lump sum and you picked that in 1997 and you haven't looked at that since. Well, that's not a good thing. That's something you should be looking at because... If that lump sum is meant to deliver temporary living and it's meant to deliver relocation flights, well, we all know that accommodation costs and flights costs have gone through the roof and that might not be enough money anymore. And so it's important to audit those costs and make sure that you do keep them up to date if you can. And housing or rent is another thing that people like to sometimes deliver as a cash allowance, especially into the United States or other more once stable markets, those are allowances too that it's worth looking at revisiting because of the inflation in the marketplace.
1: So Airing recently released a survey on compensation trends, which showed that participants in the survey were reporting an increased use of inflation data and cost of living data for compensation levels. This seems like a new approach to compensation philosophy, especially given talent shortages and the emergence of more global roles. So outside of international relocations, do you see these home host differentials becoming a consideration, both for hiring managers and then maybe those who run a remote work program as well?
0: Yes. I mean, companies are quite concerned about inflation and its impact on an employee's salary. And traditionally, if we're talking about an employee and not an expat, just a regular employee, the salary increase that you receive each year is based on salary survey data and that salary survey data is rearward looking. It's a big benchmark about, hey, you know, what are managers being paid, you know, in for a certain role in let's say the United States, and you know, what did it pay a year ago and what does it pay now? And that's based on benchmark data that's rearward facing. But we know that rearward-facing data right now is problematic when we have running high inflation rates. So what that survey is telling us and what we're learning in the marketplace is that. We want to look, especially at lower income earners, what the impact of inflation on salary is. Because if I have 10% inflation, which is what we're seeing in the UK at the moment, we're seeing just slightly less than that in the United States. If I look at a lower income earner, let's say somebody who might make $50,000 or pounds a year they spend a lot more of their money on necessity items than discretionary items and when that inflation puts pressure on that necessity spending often what happens is people are left with no money they have not enough to make ends meet and so inflation data can help you isolate the part of that necessity spending that is salary you know not what you spend on taxes or what have you and say how much would i need to give this employee to cover the inflationary pressures that they're facing and the answer is you need to give more for lower income earners than higher income earners. And so we are seeing that comp professionals are using that data. You also had a question in there about remote work. Do you still want me to cover that one?
1: Yes, please. Okay. And more really because we are seeing this as a, as a benefit towards the talent sourcing kind of strategy. So being able to comp benchmark, being able to offer a flexible work location with that benchmarking involved. And again, it goes back to that delivering the data within your technology solution as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, we're still facing a talent shortage and that's really tough on hiring managers. And we do see remote work as a way to say, hey, come work for us. You don't have to move or you can live wherever you want. And that does present different challenges. Do you pay somebody differently in a lower cost location or do you use cost of living data to say, hey, sure, you can keep living in low cost location. And by the way, I'm going to pay you based on a national average and based on this cost of living data. I can see that you're actually living better because of that, right? So there are ways that you can use data to entice people to work for you to prove that your offering is better than others because you maybe don't cut the pay in a remote work situation or you allow the employee to live wherever they would like to. And that is a great way to recruit people. And that data can always be fed into a technology system. So at the time of a recruitment it's sitting there for you to use it saying, hey, as part of this remote work offering, I can tell you this information so that it becomes seamless.
1: Yeah, I was going to mention that too, that it seems like data is much more available nowadays. So hiring managers, talent individuals, and HR can access calculators or tables themselves to actually do that benchmarking as well. So pushing that much more further upstream to the actual sourcing rather than more, as we would normally see with assignees and more longer-term moves.
0: Yes, I mean, you definitely want to take the mystery out of some of this information and putting the information in the hands of the decision makers when they are making that decision can speed up the process. I mean, if you're in a talent acquisition scenario and you have the data at the ready at the time that you're trying to make the offer, meanwhile, somebody else is dilly-dallying, looking up numbers or trying to provide information, they might lose that critical hire or that employee experience might not be as good as as somebody who has that information available at the fingertips. So I do see that more and more information will become more and more available. And that's why partnering with Equus is so great because Erin and Equus have an API and a lot of that information that we pass to you just gets pushed directly into the system. People don't have to wait. They don't have to load the information. And it's just appearing there, which allows people, again, to have access to that insight at the ready when they need it giving them, you know, time is valuable.
1: Fantastic. So one final question for you to consider, and we'd love to hear the thoughts from anybody listening as well, given the wide variety of programs that are managed too. So Morgan, each country's economic approach is impacting consumer spending. Is our current notion of which countries are high cost still accurate or is that changing too?
0: No, I'm glad you asked that because, you know, whenever I go to a cocktail party and I tell people what I do for a living, they go, what's the most expensive place in the world? And I say, gosh, I don't know. It's changing every day. And, you know, the answer used to be Tokyo, you know, was often the case. And, you know, it's fascinating. I just looked this up two years ago, U.S. to Tokyo in our system using our sort of mid-level answer. Tokyo was 61.8% more expensive than the United States. And it was at the top of the list two years ago. I looked it up based on July. It's now only 26.7% more expensive. And that's because during that time period, the yen has weakened significantly against the dollar. And while we've had a lot of inflation in the United States, they've kept inflation down in Tokyo. And so what used to be one of these super expensive places is now not so expensive anymore. And for Japanese nationals now in New York, they're like, this place is expensive, whereas before it never used to be that way. And so at cocktail parties, I'm befuddled now because I don't know how to answer this question about what's the most expensive place in the world because it keeps changing on me, Tom.
1: (laughs) It sounds like I need the list of my cocktail parties as well.
0: (laughs) Well, yes, if I can help you with a fun stat. So, you know, (laughs) I'm there for you.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you again for your time, Morgan. We really appreciate your insights and the other different opinions that you've given us on cost of living. I think it's a really important thing for companies to consider at the moment, and especially with that data and technology joint offering where we can be able to deliver that data timely into a consumer-grade technology solution as well.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Global Mobility Unplugged, hosted by Equis Software, the leader in global mobility technology. For more insights, subscribe to this podcast or visit us at www.equisoft.com.